This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Lonnie's Discount Muffler and Rib Studio here in Washington, D.C., a.k.a. Pistown. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. It's the Thursday show, which means garbage can nominations are open. If you're a subscriber over at patreon.com slash district sentinel, you can submit a garbage can nominee ahead of tomorrow's subscriber only show where we throw someone in the garbage can. So get those in now or wait until after the debate tonight. Yes, to quote the Trillbillies, it is debate night in America. I'm sure there'll be some more garbage candidates emerging from the proceedings who are just asking to be dunked tomorrow. Or you are going to nominate Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden anyway, but tonight we'll give you new reasons to do it. (laughs) Elizabeth Warren's campaign uh, making a run for the garbage can this week. Hyping up an endorsement from Ed Buck, the uh, former Obama donor who, what, what was he like, drugging and assaulting black men in his mansion or something like that some really dark story i think involving multiple people who died and yes, overdosed under vi- incredibly suspicious uh conditions that just made it it, it didn't look good and the war campaign that. is touting this guy's endorsement this week and the the, the, the funny i guess, maybe funny is not the right word but the uh, comedic error the best comedic error of this was that it was supposed to be a list of ex-Obama staffers who came out in support of Warren. Ed Buck was never a White House staffer, and uh, the Warren campaign noted that when saying, oops, he shouldn't have been on the list. So basically, it wasn't that he wasn't a supporter, it's just that here was a list of Obama staffers, and we accidentally included the guy who is almost certainly a fucking murderous sex creep yeah, on the list. Not a good look. But again, he's still a supporter. He just wasn't an Obama staffer. <laughs> what a fuck up. Fits in with the uh, rest of the day. It's just been a hell day online uh, for anybody who's been paying attention. Um, I know I had... Amy Therese stands in my mentions all day, deliberately misreading very obvious tweets. We did get Amy Therese herself. I don't, we don't, we hardly ever talk about Amy on the show. We save that for Twitter, but we had to bring this up because Amy Therese actually plugged our haiku book on her Twitter account today. Uh, she did it in an effort to own us by taking a screen cap of our haiku book and a screen cap of an article asking why people like Stalin, well, it was why are dictators so into poetry and it included Stalin. So in a way she was comparing us to Stalin in an effort to own us, which that's that's not owning us. She used to call us liberals and uh, she went from there to Stalin. <laughs> so uh, completely normally functioning brain by Amy. Uh, thanks for the plug. Thanks for linking us to Stalin, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, all around uh, Hell World Online today. I woke up 
to uh, the editor of the premier socialist magazine in the U.S., uh, praising Tulsi Gabbard's present vote, her hella lame present vote on impeachment. Uh, and uh, this afternoon saw that same magazine promoting The Hill, a right-wing news outlet owned by a rich supporter of Donald Trump, uh, Jacobin promoting The Hill's morning show because it occasionally runs some pro-Bernie rants in addition to a slew of reactionary garbage and reactionary people from Andy No to Charlie Kirk that regularly appear on that program, yet Jacobin is running a puff piece on one of the hosts of that show. And, and they're never challenged, and we were watching a clip of that show a few days ago. It was in the wake of the British general election, and one of the hosts was uh, basically regurgitating the smear used against Corbyn yeah. and saying that Bernie Sanders is an anti-Semite uh, through his association with Linda Sarsour. So this is evidently the sort of programming that uh, we should watch as good leftists. Yeah. And and I, I've seen Crystal Ball's rants, her pro-Bernie rants. They're good. They're not anything different than you hear on a variety of the other left-wing media outlets, independent, I should say, left-wing media outlets that have uh, developed over the last few years. Nothing unique is being said on the Hill by Crystal Ball. It's just being said in on a corporate news outlet, essentially. And, uh, and also, perhaps Crystal is completely sincere in her pro-Bernie position, but it's important to remember that a year ago, she was making bank was making six figures running a democratic pack trying to take advantage of a lot of the left-wing energy in the country. And one of one of her associates was Richard Ojeda who featured in the story which uh, we mentioned the Trillbillies earlier in the show. I think you should defer to them on the Ojeda analysis, but I will just say if you find yourself praising Ojeda in December 2019, uh Go to the brainworm doctor and get the brainworms removed from your fucking skull. Yeah, that that the, the whole article read like like Connor just sent it the crystal ball and was like, please edit this for me. <laughs> it was just really fucking embarrassing. The guy, not yeah. really a surprise there I, to be honest. I've been trying to wake people up on what the hill actually is and what's really going on with rising for weeks now. Not not because. We're just trying to start beef or that we might have our own morning show in development here. Um, <laughs> maybe a little bit because of that. But actually, like what I'm saying is accurate here. It's backed up. We should be we should approach the show with caution for a lot of the reasons that have uh, already been laid out. And hell, I don't even care if you people don't want to support us. There's plenty of other very good left outlets that are much more. Deserving that, of your support exactly, and, your, and you. your attention yes. and everything else. Yes, listen to the Trillbillies. Listen to Street Fight Radio. Listen to your fucking listen community radio, for fuck's sake. Yeah, listen to literally anything. The whole point of this is for you to show this to your uncle, your your, your slightly less political uncle, to be like, oh, you, you should watch this because look what they say about Bernie. And then your uncle hears what the co-host is saying about Linda Sarsour and is like, yeah, I fucking love that shit. <laughs> yeah, you can find pro-Bernie stuff out there in a lot of places that don't also include reactionary garbage. All right, it is... 
Thursday, December 19th, 2019. Here's the news. So yesterday, the House voted to impeach President Trump on two articles, as expected, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. The vote was along strict party lines, as expected, with only a few exceptions, including, as we noted, Tulsi Gabbard, who voted present. Powerful. So, so powerful. So powerful, she couldn't even vote no. After the dust settled, however, things took an unexpected turn. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi refused to lay down a timetable for sending the article's impeachment over to the Senate. Here she is outlining the move this morning in her weekly press conference. And just a word of warning, there is a lot of procedural language here. When we bring the bill, which is, just so you know, there's a bill made in order by the Rules Committee that we can call up at any time in order to send it over to the Senate and to have the provisions in there to pay for the for the impeachment and then the next step, and the uh, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the trial. That is where you put the managers. I was not prepared to put the managers and that bill yet because we don't know the arena that we are in. Not great at getting sound bites, is she? I mean, for, for, for someone who goes out of her way to, to, to find any possible way to praise Ronald Reagan, she's not exactly a great communicator. Anyway, the arena comment referred to Democrats' justi justification for holding on to the two impeachment articles. They are unhappy with how Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is trying to set up the impeachment trial. Specifically, Dems are upset with McConnell trying to limit witness testimony. Dems want to hear from eyewitnesses such as White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney. They're also unhappy with how McConnell on Tuesday declared himself, quote, not an impartial juror. Here is Pelosi talking about the Senate Majority Leader. I saw some, I didn't see it, but I heard some of what Mitch McConnell said today. And it reminded me that our founders, when they wrote the Constitution, uh, they suspected that there could be a rogue president. I don't think they suspected that we could have a rogue president and a rogue leader in the Senate at the same time. Very close to actually getting it. Very close to explaining why the Constitution is just a total fucking sham. Because this is hardly the first time that two branches of government have agreed on abuses of power. I should have say, I guess, one and a half branches of government because the Senate and the, Congre and the House make up the Congress, which is an entire branch, et cetera, et cetera. But you get the picture. The Constitution sucks because people like Mitch McConnell uh, and to a lesser extent people like Donald Trump control various branches of government uh, at the same time. It just doesn't work. Checks and balances, it's a myth. Anyway, as explained at the top of yesterday's show, Pelosi has generally made a total mess of impeachment by keeping the scope of the House investigation as narrow as possible. But delay here... It's the right move. Against all odds, Pelosi has made the right decision. It keeps impeachment and the headlines for longer. It puts pressure on Mitch McConnell. Hell, it might even give Dems time to add more impeachment articles. I don't know. Stay tuned. We still fully expect Democrats to fuck this up. But credit where it's due, delay is the right move for now. Democrats who are opposed to Medicare for All often talk about building off of what works with Obamacare. But given how the law has been completely dismantled, it's an incoherent argument. You'll still probably hear it on the debate stage tonight. On Wednesday, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that the 
Obamacare individual mandate, which required people to purchase health insurance, is unconstitutional. The Supreme Court had previously upheld the mandate, interpreting it as a tax since people were hit with an extra tax if they did not purchase insurance. Two years ago, Congress in the Trump administration zeroed out that tax, so the court this week determined that the mandate is no longer on sound constitutional grounds. The sliver of good news here is for people with pre-existing conditions is that the court didn't void the entire law, just the individual mandate. That's actually a blow to private health insurance companies who received a boon from the individual mandate since it required a bunch of young, healthy people to pay for insurance they normally wouldn't have purchased. No more mandate, no more offsets for insuring sicker people who under the law can't be discriminated against based on pre-existing conditions. The entire law, though, could still be scrapped. That's a decision left up to a lower district court now, which will determine if the mandate is severable from the rest of Obamacare. Either way, as we've reported on the show recently, the law has been substantially whittled away with its financing mechanisms all stripped out by Congress most recently in the budget deal approved this week. Costs of health insurance continue to rise, and the number of people skipping necessary treatment because they can't afford it is at its highest level in nearly 20 years, and Obamacare was passed a decade ago. Feel old by that? Anyway, in short, you can't build off Obamacare despite what Joe Biden will say tonight and what Amy Klobuchar will say tonight. You can't do it if it doesn't actually exist anymore. It's time for Medicare for All. One of two Democratic congressmen to vote against impeachment has switched parties. Jeff Van Drew of Southern New Jersey made it official today. The Washington Post broke the news in a brief story this afternoon. The paper noted Van Drew met with Trump on Friday and was with him today at the White House. Perhaps Van Drew would have broke the news himself on his House website, but he hasn't put out a press release since December 12th. Earlier this week, Van Drew staffers quit en masse, when it was first reported, he was on the verge of switching parties. Owned. The Post noted Van Drew would have faced primary opponents if he didn't quit the party. He had primary opponents to his left when he first ran for the House in 2018. Van Drew has supported blocking abortion access and has criticized gun control, so naturally he had primary opponents in New Jersey. In spite of his right-wing leanings, Van Drew was supported in his run by the official fundraising arm of House Democrats the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, a.k.a. the DCCC. The Intercept made note of the DTRIP's support of Van Drew in a story recalling how the organization threatened to blacklist anyone who works with primary challengers after AOC stomped the shit out of former House Democratic leader Joe Crowley. The Intercept piece noted how the blacklist policy doesn't apply to consultants who try to help Republicans defeat Democrats in general election fights, one such group with Honor Pack has received $2 million from the DCCC since 2016. Its mission is to elect veterans without any regard whatsoever for party affiliation. So basically, anyone who helps Van Drew try to get reelected will not automatically get the DTRIP blacklist, even though they'd be helping a Republican turncoat. But if someone joined the campaign of a primary challenge against Colin Peterson, who is now the only Dem to oppose impeachment, they would get blacklisted by the D-Trip. It's a big tent party, but the left side of the tent has been sewn the fuck shut. Clever how Van Drew waited until after he cast 
his no vote on impeachment to officially switch parties so that he could get that Republican talking point in there about Dems not <laughs> supporting it. Hey, you know how cops love facial recognition technology since they think it will make their jobs easier and they're lazy fucks? Well, they have a new reason to like it. It's racist as hell. It's according to a new government report. This isn't a report by a civil liberties group. It's actually from the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which reviewed nearly 200 pieces of facial recognition software built by 99 different companies in order to determine reliability. That sample size, according to the National Institute of Standards and Technology, makes up the majority of the industry's products. And what were the results of that study? Well, it found that the technology was 100 times more likely to misidentify Asian and black people than misidentify white people. 100 times more likely. And the faces of African-American women, according to the study, returned more false positives than any other group. Talk about a nightmare scenario. Basically means that whether it's cops scanning crowds or this technology scanning crowds, either way, minorities are more likely to be selected for further investigation into crimes. Still, the technology is in wide use by cops around the country and by federal law enforcement. The Washington Post reported that the FBI has logged more than 390,000 facial recognition searches of state driver's license records since 2011. No word on how many false positives came back. There's currently no federal restrictions on the use of technology by the police. Though this report could provide a boost to several pieces of legislation that have been introduced in Congress to curtail the use of facial recognition software. Remember when Facebook first rolled out that um, it would, I, God, I forget exactly what it was, but it would like automatically tag your friends in photos if it thought it recognized their faces. And then it had to roll it back because it was creepy and constantly getting it wrong. And because it violated the violated like local or state law in I forgot what state it was, Missouri or Wisconsin or somewhere, and they got the shit suit out of them. Well, it's incredibly good and cool that uh, agents of the state with guns are uh, <laughs> are using this technology still. Yep. All right, that music means it's time for the poetry portion of the show. All new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. Get their own poem written for them and read on the air. I'm just remembering how on that Amy Therese post about our haiku, uh, how it was like faved by like oh, yeah. nine people and one of them was named like Groiper Heidegger. <laughs> Heidegroiper. Yeah, Martin Heidegroiper. Martin and, Heidegroiper. And there was another like from uh, Buzz Whiteyear. <laughs> In no, she's, she's not the Nazi whisperer. It's no, okay. she she's building a, a working class coalition of left wing people who uh, who love being left wing. Yeah. So our only poetry of the day is for Nicholas. History adjunct made it through on scholarships. Fucking PMC. <laughs> Thank you, Nicholas. PMC, a word that has now lost all meaning whatsoever. Yeah, big time. Uh, I feel sorry for Barbara Ehrenreich. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nicholas. Thanks to all the new subscribers. Patreon.com slash District Sentinel. My take is that if you're insulting someone and you're calling them PMC and it's not synonymous with consultant class, maybe you shouldn't use it.
There are a lot of uh, lower middle class people out there who are struggling who I don't think you could call them PMC. Yeah, I don't think so uh, either. Okay, we've got a call on the rant line. Let's check it out. Hey, guys. This is uh, Tarek uh, underscore Trico on Twitter. Um, I uh, just listened to the last couple episodes in a row, so I listened to those uh, rant line calls about insurance, and it just got me thinking. Uh, my wife's pregnant right now, and uh, our OB is going to charge us, I think, $3,000 or so, uh, and this is with our insurance that I pay about $600 a month for, um, $300 for each paycheck, and for my wife and I. And it's going to be $3,000 out of pocket, even though we've met our deductible, so I'm not quite sure what exactly my insurance pays for at this point. Um, and then because our baby is due next year, we won't meet our deductible, um, or our out-of-pocket maximum by the time the baby comes in April. So we're going to be on the hook for a few thousand more uh, at delivery. So uh, just a wonderful system we have here in this shithole country uh, called the United States. And not to mention that uh, once the baby's here, uh, childcare is not free. And my wife, even though she's a teacher, uh, gets no paid maternity leave. So uh, she'll be taken... Uh, six to 12 weeks, but it'll all be unpaid FMLA. So, you know, she spends her life taking care of kids and making sure they're educated, uh, but uh, gets no time to, no paid time to take care of her own children. So anyway, wonderful system we've got here. Just wanted to share that lovely thought. Uh, love the show. Thanks, guys. People who have children in our current hellhole system, they're braver than the troops. Yeah. What can I say? It's it's times like these that I'm glad I have never had sex. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Tarek, and uh, for for sharing uh, yet another grim story of the American healthcare system. Call the rant line two zero two six eight four six one zero eight. You don't have to tell a story uh, about how you're dealing with healthcare in the U.S., um, but you can and you can talk about anything. We'll play it on air. Again, the rant line, 202-684-6108. Okay, subscriber note. We are back tomorrow for the subscriber-only garbage can show. And then we are off all of next week for the holidays. No newscast, but fear not. EMC. <laughs> fear not. The content factory will keep chugging along. We'll be releasing brand new interviews. Uh, we examine the UK election results with Emily Robinson and Nate Bethay. Uh, we also have a new edition of Chip Chat coming out next week, and we'll be talking a little basketball and unionization efforts with Dakota Schmidt. All that coming out next week. Stay tuned for it. Subscribe, patreon.com slash district sentinel. In the meantime, we're here in D.C., so you don't have to be here.